It's no secret that Lucille Ball was a singular figure in her impact and importance to the golden age of television. She and her husband, Desi Arnaz, not only created one of the most iconic shows of all time, but they went on to establish a production company and studio that were home to some of early television's most enduring shows. But there were two forward-looking shows in particular that would not have existed at all if it were not for the vision and courage of Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. One iconic show in particular was greenlit by Lucy herself against the advice of a lot of folks she trusted. But as history would have it, we wouldn't know the name Captain Kirk without her. I'm Dara Star Tucker, and this is The Breakdown. It would be difficult to overstate the impact of I Love Lucy, which ran on CBS from 1951 to 1957. It was the first show to feature an ensemble cast. Before Lucy, sitcoms were shot with a single camera from various angles with no studio audience. A laugh track would usually be inserted after shooting. But Lucy and Desi knew that Lucy's humor worked better in front of a live audience. So they renovated General Service Studios to be able to accommodate both a live audience and a three-camera setup so the television audience could experience the episodes just like a live audience would. They pioneered this technique, which is still used in many sitcoms today. They really didn't do many reshoots, so for this reason you'll hear them flub lines occasionally, which added to the realism. It's true, I bet I danced with Van Johnson this afternoon. To this day, the episode entitled Lucy Goes to the Hospital, where Lucy gives birth to little Ricky, is the second highest rated television show of all time, with an estimated 44 million viewers, surpassed only by Elvis's first appearance on The Ed Sullivan Show, which is estimated to have been viewed by 60 million people. So they had a lot of pool in the industry by the time the original I Love Lucy show was nearing the end of its run in 1957. Around this time, dramatic anthology series were at the height of their popularity. These were dramas that were generally run between an hour and an hour and a half that stood as independent productions with no consistent cast, so there would be an entirely different teleplay introduced every week, written by various writers who sold their scripts to the production companies and networks. The idea was to create programming that existed in the space between popular radio serials that folks remembered from their childhood and a dramatic Broadway play. Popular dramatic anthology series included Philco Goodyear Television Playhouse on NBC, Playhouse 90 on CBS, and Craft Television Theater on NBC. These Playhouse dramas were a great way for up-and-coming actors to be showcased and for industry veterans to stay busy with prestige content when film work was slow. Now, Desilu was the production company that Desi Arnaz and Lucille Ball formed to produce the I Love Lucy show. It was a portmanteau of their names, Desi and Lucy. Through the same production company, they created their own anthology series called Westinghouse Desilu Playhouse in 1958 on CBS. Unlike many other anthology series, Westinghouse Desilu Playhouse featured comedies and musicals as well as dramatic fare. The brand new hour-long Lucille Ball Desi Arnaz show, later rebroadcast as the Lucy Desi Comedy Hour, was one of the featured serials on the show, and Desi Arnaz was the show's host. In 1957, a television writer named Rod Serling, who had shown a lot of promise as a writer of dramatic material, had sold a script to CBS called The Time Element, hoping to convince the network to allow him to produce his own show. Serling wasn't known for fantasy or sci-fi, but he was known for his drive to address controversial topics. He had written several scripts for dramatic anthologies, but they were constantly being picked apart by sponsors and network brass to make them more palatable for mainstream audiences. CBS had purchased one of his scripts called The Time Element, but did nothing with it for a year. Then a producer for the Desilu Playhouse named Brad Granite decided that he wanted to use it for one of their weekly productions. The network was dead set against it. They thought it was too far out and the ending was too ambiguous. They insisted that audiences wouldn't go for a story whose ending wasn't wrapped in a neat little bow, but Desi Arnaz fought for the episode to be produced. When it finally aired, it drew rave reviews from critics and Serling received thousands of fan letters. 
Due to this overwhelming response, CBS finally relented and agreed to give Serling his own show called The Twilight Zone. The time element is often seen as the unofficial pilot episode of the series. I have information that the Japanese are going to bomb Pearl Harbor tomorrow morning at approximately 8 a.m. Honolulu time. Now, Lucy and Desi divorced in 1960, but they were still co-owners of Desilu Studios. By 1962, Lucy had remarried and was starring in a new show of her own called The Lucy Show. The Lucy Show. She decided to purchase Desi's remaining interest in the company for $2.5 million, making her the first woman to become the head of a major Hollywood studio. But by this time, Desi Lou was struggling financially. Lucy knew that the only way to pull the company out of its slump was to find and produce great shows. Herbert Solo, the director of production for Desi Lou, had recently received a script from a promising young writer named Gene Roddenberry. It was a script Roddenberry described as a wagon train to the stars. The title? Star Trek. It was an unusual concept, but Herb Solo recalled that something about Roddenberry's disheveled look and overall geekiness told him that the guy knew how to write sci-fi. So he signed him to a multi-year development deal based solely on his story idea before he'd even had the chance to read a word of Roddenberry's script or character treatment. Solo announced to Lucy and the Desilu board that he was working with Roddenberry. At a subsequent meeting, Lucy asked Solo how things were coming with the show idea that he had pitched a few weeks earlier about a USO troop in the South Pacific. He had no idea what she could be referring to. It turns out that when she heard the term wagon train to the stars, she assumed that it has something to do with a performance troupe in wartime. After Herb explained the concept of Star Trek to her again, Lucy was on board. But her board was not, at least not all of them, and neither was her home network, CBS. So Desilu took the idea to Grant Tinker at NBC. Herb Solo used to work there, so he had a bit of pull and effectively told Grant Tinker that he wasn't leaving his office until they ordered a pilot, which they finally did. NBC did make a significant investment in the original pilot for Star Trek, $185,000 to be exact, but Desilu Studios ended up paying almost a half a million dollars to make up for the overages. NBC rejected the original plot, though in a rare move they agreed to allow Solo and Roddenberry to produce another pilot if they would implement the changes that NBC asked for. NBC and Desilu ended up splitting the cost for the second pilot about 60-40. Probing the unknown reaches of space. Star Trek, coming to Fridays this fall on NBC. Contrary to any internet memes that you may have read, though, Lucy did not come out of pocket to finance either pilot with her own money. That really wasn't necessary, but she did approve the financing of both pilots and the subsequent series against the advice of several of her board members. She did the same thing for Mission Impossible and Mannix. His name is Mannix. Be watching when Mike Connors stars as Mannix, special investigator for Intertech in a whirlwind new action series right here in color. The fact is that Desilu would not have been able to survive without being willing to take risks on new programming, and Lucy understood that full well. It was a calculated risk. So Lucy greenlit Star Trek, the series was a huge success, and it saved Desilu, right? Well, not really. The show lasted for only three seasons, probably two more than the ratings justified. But in spite of the letter-writing campaigns by the show's most ardent fans, it couldn't be saved. Lucy ended up selling Desilu to Gulf and Western in 1967, which later became Paramount Television. And as we all know, Star Trek grew in popularity while in reruns and spawned multiple movies and TV spinoffs. So yes, Lucy gave us Captain Kirk and The Twilight Zone. The truth is, though, she never really saw herself as a businesswoman. She preferred creative work. but in 
in spite of that, she was able to facilitate the production of some of the most iconic and forward-looking shows of the 1960s. Just add those shows to the list of reasons why we all love Lucy. Hey folks, I'm getting out on the road to celebrate the release of my newest album, Dara Star Tucker. I'll be performing at Dizzy's Club in New York on the 11th of September, and I would love to meet you in person. Visit the link in my bio or in the comments for tickets.